Before we get into the show and introduce today's guest, I would just like to thank United Medical Credit for being sponsors of this podcast and of the Business of Dentistry. As a matter of fact, they have a special offer for Business of Dentistry members, 0% merchant fees for the rest of the year, and 30% discount for life after that. You can get that special deal by either going to DocOffInvestments.com and clicking on the deal section, or by going directly to www.unitedmedicalcredit.com forward slash TBOD. Thanks again, UMC. Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, it's Doc Huffpower coming to you again from my home studio here in Alvin, Texas. Today I have a real treat. We're going to talk about something that I think a lot of us want to know more about, but we just don't have the right questions to ask. And that is cryptocurrency. And um, Chris Vo, um, Mitch Miller, we're here to talk about crypto. You guys are uniquely positioned to talk to dentists about it. And why is that, Chris? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for the opportunity, Chris, to, to be here. Uh, so I am a dentist, um, uh, branding myself as the crypto dentist. We got a website and everything up. So um, yeah, as a dentist, uh, I've had a, actually had many conversations recently um, about how to get into Bitcoin and how to get into the crypto cryptocurrency markets um, as investments. Uh, and Mitch and I have been exploring this topic um for the last four years at least you he and i and for him even a little bit before then so um we decided to sort of put put rubber to the road here and, and build a course to help dentists get in into this exciting new space fantastic and mitch what do you bring to this dynamic duo what's your background yeah so uh i'm not a dentist uh I, i'm in a software consulting industry so uh spent a lot of time in tech um, and I first dove into crypto in 2014, um, and kind of increasingly, you know, dove more and more into it. So, uh, I guess I bring a lot more of the technical backgrounds, um, in understanding the crypto space. Fantastic. So let's talk just a little bit about the history of crypto. I think there's a lot of people who just don't understand it at all. It's kind of a, a buzzword to a lot of people. Um, Talk to us a little bit about blockchain, what the hell that means, and what it means for currency, and why that's something that is probably a good thing. Um, so, I'll, so we'll kind of share this question. This is we could spend hours talking about this topic. Um, so we'll try to be be brief here. Um, but I think cryptocurrency sort of came into everyone's consciousness when when Bitcoin was released, um, and so I think you have to start. You, you start there with Bitcoin. That's sort of the inception of all this. And and Bitcoin is, um, you know, not to spare exaggeration, but in my opinion, and the opinion of many people is probably the most significant invention since the Internet. Um, and and it is you, we, we give it that that title because um, it sort of fixes the global monetary problem. It fixes global money. And, and these are these are really massive claims and it takes many hours to kind of dig down in to see why that's true. Um, but just to give you a, a, a fairly brief description of that, um, Bitcoin is a decentralized currency. 
meaning that there's not a single person, there's not a single entity, no government, no country that controls this monetary policy. And that is unlike any currency that exists today. Um, not only is it decentralized, but um, Bitcoin also has a fixed supply, um, meaning that, uh, which is very different than a limited or a scarce supply. Um, Bitcoin has a monetary policy that is written in math, essentially in computer code. And, and that, that code and that, that monetary policy says that there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. And there's a, a rate at which those Bitcoin are released into the world. Um, and, and that policy cannot be changed. Um, contrast that with something like the US dollar. Um, I think within the last 18 months, uh, about 30% of all the dollars that exist today were created within 18 months ago. So when I say that there is a global monetary problem, this is what I mean. People you know, are wondering. Is, it's yeah. an interesting thing, just you know, from what you're talking about there, a lot of people aren't real students of history. Uh, the United States currency, before it became what is called a fiat currency, and I'd like you guys to go ahead and explain that, um, it was actually earmarked against both gold and silver because of the dual infl uh, inflammation, or inflammation, <laughs> inflationary <laughs> pressures on both of those. They tended to counteract each other and keep the dollar very, very stable, much like Bitcoin, how there is only a certain number of them that can possibly come into existence. Um, and they're harder and harder to get, one might add, because of the, because of the way that the blockchain works and solving it. Um, it was limited by the amount of gold and silver that could physically be carved out of the earth. And so there was a natural progression of an increase of dollars, but it was also an increase of economy that coupled with that. Whereas today we're seeing, since it's, it's leveraged against literally nothing other than the belief that people have that this piece of paper is worth something, now we have the ability to print $4 trillion, deflate the value of every single one of those pieces of paper in your wallet and destroy your buying power for generations to come. And I would say that we have not hit with a 5% inflation this year, we have not hit the end. So now that I'm off my soapbox, I'm gonna turn it over to you guys. Yeah, so, you know, that's 100% correct. Like fiat, like you said, is just, you know, backed by belief. Um, you know, remove from, you know, also sometimes heard as fractional reserve banking where, you know, the banks can also multiply that money as well. So, oh, you know, we, they're we could like, talk all day about fractional reserve, but I think we'd lose half the listeners. You're right. And so, you know, to your point, right there, there is just an unlimited supply of a potential limited supply of U.S. dollars. And I think that's where, like what Chris said, like having something that has a fixed supply and a known fixed supply is just very beneficial to preserving wealth, you know, and, and like you said, like 5%, that's probably not the end that we're going to see as far as the inflation goes. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it, whenever you look at it, whenever you have a, a belief-based currency or a fiat currency, it is literally, particularly whenever you have something like the fractional reserve that is powering it, it is literally leveraged against debt. So the more debt there is, the more the currency is worth. <laughs> that's insane. I mean, that's an insane way to run your, 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 your practice, much less a country. So, so I think it, it is suffice to say that we have a global monetary problem. And I, I think it's, we could get into like the details. And I think all of us sound like we're kind of money nerds here. And we, we'd love to dig into like what exactly is money. But I, I think what, what most people um, should know, and, and most people probably don't think about 
do we have sound monetary policy or not? I mean, the fact that monetary policy can be changed by an individual or a small group of individuals is not sound monetary policy. Absolutely. And, and it's time in the history of civilization that we have a monetary policy that is global, that cannot be changed at the whims of whoever's in power, that is, that is non-discriminatory, um, that sees no borders, it doesn't see any skin colors, it does not see race or ethnicity, none of that. Um, and to boot, it's a native currency of the internet, right? We live in a digital world and we, we still succumb to some of these archaic systems that exist in the financial world. Like why does it cost so much money for me to send money to my family in Vietnam? Um, I can send them Bitcoin or cryptocurrency like that and it costs almost nothing and they get it. I mean, like I said, like that, they're, they're gonna receive that money within seconds to minutes. Um, and that's, that's the speed that we live in. I can send you an email and you're going to get it when I send it to you. Why can't I send you money and you get it immediately? Oh, absolutely. So talk to us a little bit about um, how blockchain secures the value that is locked into um, crypto coins and um, the different algorithms touch lightly on them just so that people know there are different algorithms and different ways of looking at it. We don't have to, we don't have to nerd out, you know, too much. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So blockchain explained simply is, um, if you want to think about it, it's kind of like an accounting ledger. And the way all crypto is built on a, a, a form of blockchain in the sense that all transactions go into a block. And if you want to think of that block as a page in like an accounting book um, with all your different transactions, those blocks are all put together into a blockchain. And what that allows you to understand is, you know, you can, it's public, so everyone can see it. And that allows you to see, you know, when someone says, hey, I'm going to send you a Bitcoin, you can instantly verify like, yep, I can see in the blockchain, you have a Bitcoin to send me, we're good, like it's going to work out. Like, and you can see the history of where that's, you know, kind of come from. So, you know, it's just a way to, it's, it's kind of like having um, accountability by everyone knowing what everyone has, right? And so it really allows for that transparency to be had, and you kind of know you know, prior to transactions, like it's going to work or it's not right. Someone can't send you a fake Bitcoin because everyone knows you don't have it. Um, and with that, you know, those blocks are mined in certain ways. So you kind of ask, you kind of ask about the different algorithms. Um, and so what that is, is, it's just different math problems at a high level that computers are working, you know, working to solve. And once they solve, they solve that block, they put those transactions in that block. And that's the, by solving it, that's the security you know, that's around it. So you have, you know, thousands and thousands of supercomputers working, you know, on Bitcoin, for example. And which brings us to um, GPU powered versus dedicated and why Ethereum and Bitcoin are so divergent in their value. And I actually personally, I think Ethereum is more stable, but I'll leave it up to you guys as the experts. And, I, and you know why I think that. So why don't we talk so, a little bit so, about those two big ones right there? Yeah. So I, I'll, I'm going to jump in here. Mitch used the word mind. Um, some people have heard the term Bitcoin mining. I don't want to get into the, the nitty gritty of that, but that's how Mitch and I's relationship started. We were, we were Bitcoin. We were actually Ethereum miners to begin with. Um, and, and sort of like, what's the significance of this? Mitch talked about. Um, the blockchain, think about pages in a book. The blockchain sort of represents 
um, like the continuum of continuum of time. And so you can go back and look at each block and see what transactions occurred on this day at this time in block number, you know, 1,217 or whatever. Um, and then you're, you're sort of asking the question about the difference between the block, the blockchains of, of Bitcoin and the blockchains of Ethereum. They're, they're two completely separate algorithms. Um, the computers that are mining the blocks on these blockchains have to solve different, essentially different math problems um, to, to, to process the transactions and to quote unquote secure the blockchain. Um, I, I, don't, I don't get into the weeds of like how those algorithms or those protocols are different. Um, but I think that the Bitcoin protocol and the Bitcoin blockchain is designed primarily for security. Um, that's the value proposition of Bitcoin to, to store value and to not be hacked. And um, it successfully defended that position for over the, you know, the last 10 years, at least. I, I, was, I was particularly wanting to poke you about the ASIC versus um, GPU based mining and the logarithmic versus linear progression and power per mining efficiency. But I guess that might be a little too nerdy for people. That, that'll be for an advanced, an advanced conversation about that. <laughs> We can geek out about that later. Um, so what a lot of people don't realize is that even though crypto has, it's still not, I would say, mainstream. Everyone's heard about it, unless they've been living under a rock or something, but it's still not a mainstream thing. It's not something that a whole lot of people have in their portfolio or as a daily wallet type of a thing. So last summer it was announced that the United States government would be used, moving to a digital currency. Let's talk a little bit about the difference between what they're doing and crypto and why people shouldn't get fooled into thinking that the U.S. currency is going to be the same as crypto. Chris, I see, yeah, you, I see uh, you smiling over there. Was that, was that one of the topics yeah. I, I was going to ask? I was no, I mean, I, I like this question. We talk about some of this stuff fairly often. So, Yeah, so... Just because something is digital, uh, I wouldn't say is means it's a cryptocurrency. Um, part of what crypto is, is cryptography, right? It's that security. Um, and a lot of crypto is based on network, right? Like a secure network. And so when the Federal Reserve said that they're going to have this digital currency, right? That's something that they fully control, right? Like Chris had mentioned before, they still have full control over the policy, how much they're going to print. They're going to control the blocks so they can decide what transactions they let through, what transactions they don't. You know, they'll have full control of that entire digital currency, kind of like what we see with the U.S. dollar, like whether, you know, when it's in your bank account. And so I would say that a lot of the benefit of, of what we consider cryptocurrencies is removed, you know, in that scenario. So that digital currency doesn't have that freedom, that flexibility um, to kind of move forward in, in a lot of those benefits. And so I would say those are the biggest differences that that come to mind. You know, you might even say that we already have digital currency and that the holdover is simply the scraps of paper in our wallet and that the government might want to eliminate those because you can stockpile those and the government has no control of it. That's exactly what happened during the Civil War with silver, uh, silver certificates and gold certificates. Um, they tried to collect the currency, but because people could stockpile those bills, they could deal under the table. You can't do that if you have a, an entirely digital currency. Um, it, it'll be a new and brave world whenever we don't have paper currency to see how exactly drug dealers and prostitutes get away without paying taxes. But hey, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe that's the dark side of, 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 of digital currency. We shouldn't get into that. But so talk to me a little bit about what you guys are doing together, because you, you guys obviously 
um, have shown that you know a good deal about cryptocurrencies. And um, we haven't really gotten into how that plays on a world scale and why that's super important, other than being able to send money very quickly. And we'll get into that. But talk to me a little about this project you guys have going. Uh, Chris approached me not long ago about this. And I told him, I said, yeah, I think this is brilliant. Let me have you on the podcast. So Chris. Yeah, yeah. So so what we're, what we're doing, um, and this is born out of questions that we've been getting from our friends, our family, our colleagues who have called us up and said, hey, we know you guys live and breathe crypto. We know you, you guys got in Bitcoin years ago. Like, tell us what we need to do. How do we get in? How do we do it safely? Um, we've been fielding these questions for years now. And finally, we said, like, let's just build a course um, that will help people get into cryptocurrency, get into Bitcoin and do it safely. Um, as a dentist, uh, I've got a lot of dentist colleagues and I know that dentists, um, a lot of them have some spare change hanging around, right? It's their investing pot um, and it's money that's not their emergency reserves. And I've always tell people, if you're going to invest in a, in a risky asset class, um, such as cryptocurrency, uh, you, you, it needs to be money that you can, be, you can afford to lose. Um, so that being said, um, what we've done is built a course, uh, an introductory course. It's a two, right now it's a two-part course that's focused on an introduction to Bitcoin, like the significance of it. We've talked about a little bit of that already. Um, we talk about the security that's necessary to practice um, when, you, when you get in. Um, some of, we'll introduce people to the, the tools of cryptocurrency. Um, we're all familiar, most of us are familiar with the tools of traditional banking. We have bank accounts, savings accounts, things like that. There's a different vocabulary in the crypto world. These ideas exist, but you have to understand the, the differences between them um, before you can jump in. So that's part of our introduction. Um, and, then, and then we're going to sort of transition to something called stable coins, which we can talk about that a little bit more here. But essentially, a stable coin is a cryptocurrency that is pegged in value at a one-to-one -one ratio to the U US dollar. So you could convert your US dollars that you get paid at your practice um, into stable coins. And then now you're into the cryptocurrency world. You may wonder, why would I want to convert my dollars to stable coins? Well, in the traditional banking system, you're probably getting paid maybe a half a percent uh, in your savings account in interest to hold your money in a bank. Well, if you just convert that to a uh, stable coin and put it into essentially a crypto bank, you could be, you could be earning interest um, upwards of five, eight, 10, 12, even 20% on your dollars. Um, and so I think that's a, a tremendously attractive value proposition for people. Um, I think it's something that's easy to understand. And I think a lot of people would benefit by um, learning how to earn a much higher interest rate on their stable coins. Um, yeah. And it, then it's, it's funny, I wish I had known about this earlier, the way I've I'm, I make a good deal of my money is by having large cash reserves. And whenever a small startup approaches me, you know, I, I look at the, the founders and I decide if I trust them enough to loan them a couple hundred grand, you know, and I, I typically get, you know, a 15, a 10 to 15% return on that. Um, but that's a very risky thing. I mean, you know, what percentage of businesses fail in the first five years? And I've done a pretty good job of it so far, but, you know, 
this actually brings that into the realm for everyone else because it you don't have to know what's going on behind the scenes at different companies and you know which companies are marrying and which ones are splitting up uh, to be able to invest in a you know in, in something that's actually a stable coin right I mean you've got to have what a, a wallet an exchange and some money that's, that's right. pretty much it, it right incredible incredibly on the surface incredibly simple but there are definitely some fundamentals that you have to be aware of before you get started. Otherwise, you could lose everything. Absolutely. Mitch and I joke that, that in, in the crypto world, a lot of times there's no 1-800 number. You're not calling anybody for help. It's on you. Um, the reason that, that you can simply put essentially U.S. dollars in a stable asset and earn 10 to 20 percent yield on it is because there's extra risk and you bear that risk. Right. Um, and, and that's something that I think we probably wanted to say earlier is that we're not financial advisors. Um, these, these asset classes and these strategies, there are risk to them. And, and that's part of the value that we bring to the table. Um, we, have, we have made many mistakes. Um, and thank you. There's, there's risk even in security whenever it comes to crypto, because, okay, you don't want to be on an exchange. Oh, an exchange can be hacked. I'm going to store my crypto in a hardware wallet. Where did I put that shit again? Done. Gone. <laughs> you know? Right. And, and so I think that a lot of these more intricate things, uh, including the next question I'm going to ask you, or something, or some things that I would love to have you guys cover, even if just like in a short segment kind of a format on TBOD, uh, one of those things is talk to us a little bit about the difference between crypto as a currency or a means of exchange and crypto as an investment, because there's some different philosophies that are going to go in there. So talk to us there. Yeah, sure. So I would say, you know, I guess as a currency and exchange, like that first thing that comes to mind is stable coins. Um, so there's actually stable coins in pretty much every currency, um, you know, out there that you can like peg to. And so for a measure of, of exchange, right? For exchange, typically people want to see things that are stable, right? You don't want to accept a payment that could be down 50%, you know, the next day. Um, obviously it can go up 50%, but, you know, people see risks and not, not advantages sometimes. So for means of exchange, like these stable coins have a lot of value, right? So something that holds this currency that you can accept payment in today and be sure that in the next near future that the value is going to be the same, that you've got properly rewarded for the services or goods that you just exchange, right? Um, and on the investment side, there is plenty of assets that are volatile that you can kind of jump into. Like you said, you can view them as businesses or projects, um, you know, or even you know, different methodologies that you can kind of invest in. And so you are able to kind of look at these investments and, and make them and gain those rewards. You know, looking at Bitcoin, for example, right, we've, we've seen it hit $60,000 now. So like there's definitely opportunities in the space to you know, learn about different technologies in crypto and invest in them and gain those you know, rewards. I'll, I'll add a little bit in here too, um, Chris, and that is um, crypto, the crypto world is such a young space that we, we don't necessarily have all the vocabulary to really describe things well. Um, we, we have the term cryptocurrency and people think about a currency as something that you use as a medium of exchange. Um, I, there's another term called a crypto asset, right? And there's a difference between a currency and an asset. A currency you might use to exchange and an asset may be something that you choose to invest in and you hold. You're trying to store value in it. 
unless you um, really, really need a pizza. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You guys want right. to tell that story? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, you're definitely, you're referencing that there was a guy many years ago in the early days of Bitcoin who ended up buying a pizza for something like 10,000 Bitcoin. And at the time that was worth, you know, 10 or $12, whatever. And now this, you know, that pizza is, I don't know, billions, billions of dollars. Yep. Um, millions of dollars. Yeah. And so I, mean, I think that highlights this idea that like, um, there, there's something, not everything's a currency, even though we call it a currency in the crypto world, we call all these coins, we call them currencies, but a lot of them are not designed to be money. Um, you, it sounds like you're a big fan of Ethereum. I, Ethereum people call it a cryptocurrency. And I think you, and you can get, you can pay someone in, in, in Ethereum and, 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 you know, operate as, as a currency. But the reality is I think Ethereum is more of an infrastructure play um, for technology. It wasn't designed to be a store of value. It wasn't designed to be a currency. It's designed as a platform on which the rest of the crypto world can build items. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't use Ethereum to, to pay for things. You, you can kind of think about Ethereum as like an internet protocol. Um, on which people will build websites. Not like it wasn't meant to um, to solve the monetary the, the the monetary problem that we talked about previously. Hey guys, now a quick word about our sponsor. I'm really excited to announce that we've partnered with United Medical Credit to offer an exclusive deal just to TBOD members. Now, United Medical Credit is a patient financing provider with unique waterfall lending process. It allows them to approve a much wider range of applicants. In fact, the widest range of applicants in the entire field. I've been using United Medical Credit in my practice for a couple of years now, and I'm seeing great results. They really speak for themselves. I see at least 30% increase in the number of patients who are actually approved whenever going through UMC. And the best part is patients are accepting treatment. More acceptance, more patience means more revenue. Right now, they're offering TVOD members a special discount of 0% merchant fees until the end of the year. That's right, until the end of 2021, you get 0% merchant fees charged. And they're gonna give you a 30% discount for life after that. Now, if you wanna claim this offer for your practice, go to www unitedmedicalcredit.com forward slash TBOD or as always you can go to Dockoff Investments click on the deal section look up UMC and register thanks a lot guys and UMC thanks for sponsoring so the next point I want to have you guys talk about a little bit is mining we're not going to get too much into the weeds I think you already know my opinions on that and why I like Ethereum as well. But talk to us a little bit about mining itself. And is mining still a viable undertaking, particularly as we approach the limit of the algorithm for Bitcoin? Yeah. So, you know, there's, I would say you need to have a competitive advantage at this point um, for mining to be extremely profitable. Um, the equipment is still fairly expensive. Uh, just for an example, a piece of equipment that you can sell, that you can buy for like $500 takes about a year um last we checked to repay itself and you know that's with very cheap electricity that's with you know you know having kind of all the pieces there and so mining is still profitable i mean that's why people are doing it um 
And I think, as you said, like getting close to the limit of, of the algorithm in referencing Bitcoin. So there's something called having every four years um, the reward. So each block, I'll go quickly into this and you can and we can kind of ask questions, but each block has a reward. So they're incentivizing people to secure the network, right? Or, or mine, as we're calling it. Um, and that reward gets halved every four years. And so as, and that's how they release Bitcoin. So that's how we get to the 21 million Bitcoin. Um, and I think we're at 6.1 or 6.25 right now is the reward that's going to get halved every four years. So like you said, we're getting approaching that, but the theory is, um, that's what's also driving the price of Bitcoin, right? So as we go up, the value of each block stays the same. Theoretically, it's just the price of Bitcoin gets exponentially higher, right? So I think it's always going to be profitable. It's just, I think who can get the equipment, the cheapest, who can power it, the cheapest, who can cool it, the cheapest, um, is going to have the biggest advantage. Um, and I, I, so, have to say, I, I had this mad plan back in, was it 2016? I was, I bought some solar panels. I bought some, uh, oh, what was it back then? Uh, a GTX, uh, 17, it was it a, a 1790 back then or 1780 back then. I, I can't, we, we, we could quote prices for what your, these GPUs right. three or four years ago. I was buying this rack system that you could put six of them in because I mean, six at the time was so badass and I could run the whole thing off of solar. And I was like, yeah. And then I, you know, then there was a drop if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. And I was like, eh, you know, maybe I'll hold I, I was going to say, and then the sun went down exactly, <laughs> and they all turned off. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't do it. I, I'm kicking myself in the ass now for, uh, for not doing it, but I just couldn't justify spending $6,000 on just a, a whim at the time. Oh boy. Little do you know, right? <laughs> so. The next thing I want to talk to you guys about is actually what I call the dark side of crypto. So there has been some speculation that because of the fact that every transaction that is made on a cryptocurrency is tracked with that coin, that if you, for some reason, have a coin or, you know, you've made a transaction and there's a terrorist down the line, that the government may come looking for you because they're saying you're laundering money for terrorists or what have you. Talk to me a little bit about that. Is that a feasible thing? Is that just the kind of dumb shit that people say on the internet? Uh, is, has there been any approach at control by the government to being able to look at that information on that, on, on that bit chain to, to do anything like this? So, so I think one of the beautiful things about blockchain technology and about Bitcoin is that it is 100% transparent. And so I can see, and you can see, and everybody can see every transaction that's happening and that has happened in the past. And when I say every transaction, that's 100% of the transactions. With that degree of transparency, there are all kinds of situations that open up, right? If Could you track a coin that went from me to Mitch, to you, to, to Joe, to eight different people, and then ended up in the hands of a terrorist who used it to, you know, maybe you could prove that it was used to buy weapons or something. Right. Is that feasible? Is that possible? Yes. Is that a problem? In my opinion, that's not a problem um, because what previously, what were they using cash, right? Mm -hmm. Like you just couldn't prove that it got handed from one person to the next, to the next. Um, and, and if anything, I would say that um, in some ways, 
this provides uh, maybe better tools for law enforcement to connect the dots because it's absolutely transparent. Um, and are there dark sides to this? Yes, there are. Um, but at the end of the day, you're weighing the benefits versus the cost. And I think the benefits, you know, go through the roof and the costs are, are minor. And Mitch, just to add like to that, to jump in there. Yeah, just to add to that. So that's, that's kind of like the transparency side, you know, using it for good. Um, you know, I think there's also a big privacy piece of that too. So even though I like the word transparency, like you can see every block, you can see everything, but all you can see is a wallet address. So you're looking at like this string of characters and numbers that you can see, and that's, that's all they have. Now, what's been heavily regulated is on-ramps and off-ramps. So looking at how you get US dollars into currency. So you look at things like Coinbase, Gemini, like these on-ramps, so we call them to crypto. Those are heavily regulated. I'm going to go ahead and ask you the question now because I was actually typing a question in for you. Um, Hold that thought. Previously, there were currency traders, which I imagine you guys probably about 20 years back would have exactly been doing that, where you look at the inflationary, deflationary pressures on a currency and you try to predict it. And you go and you head and you grab like a French franc and it inflates and then you take it and you change it into a Deutschmark or, or what have you. And then you, you make profits on every exchange and there's a small cost every time that you, you do that. I can very easily see Bitcoin and stablecoin particularly looking at those exchange rates and accomplishing something very similar, but for far less money. And I think you're actually about to get into a hedge of that. So with that in mind, go ahead and finish explaining to us about your, your on-ramps. I think I was actually going a little bit different of a, of a place about privacy where those on-ramps are regulated and you kind of fill out documentation saying who you are. But once you send that to a wallet, you can open up as many wallets as you would like. And all it is is that string of numbers. And, you know, once it leaves that exchange, I mean, if you send it to someone and they come to you, you know, it's kind of like saying like, hey, the $100 you paid me ended up paying for some, you know, terrorist plot. It's like, well, it's the same, same conversation. It's like, well, I don't know. I gave it to Chris and Chris sent it to you, Chris. And, you know, so it's like, I, I mean, at least in the United States, like they need to prove you meant harm. And I think you, that's, that's not a risk, I think, um, that I'm worried about. And I think there is still privacy because once you leave those exchanges, you know, they have to prove that like, even if you send it to your own wallet, like another wallet of yours, like they have to prove that you own both. And if you're not giving them that information, I think you have some inherent you know, privacy to your transactions or plausible deniability. Uh, guys, I have and, to apologize. Uh, I, I'm neurotic about my um, about my frames per second. And I I realized I left the door open to my guitar room back there. <laughs> and the monitor over there is not synced to my camera. So it's just like flashing like crazy. I hope it hasn't been too distracting. I'm sitting no, here about I to have a seizure because no. of so Chris, you had something you were gonna you were gonna add on. Yeah, so I was just wanted to sort of you know comment on what you were saying. Essentially, like forex, like arbitrage between different currencies. It, so one reason that Mitch and I are so excited about crypto is because it's 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 such a new financial space, and the markets are not efficient at all in crypto. And what that means is there are opportunities. And yes, the same way you could arbitrage price differences between a franc and the US dollar, these things exist in crypto. Um, and, and honestly, if you're Forex trading in the markets right now, you, you've got to know exactly what you're doing. The, the margins for profits are razor thin and, and you, you, just, you, you need computer bots to actually do the trading to make any profit. 
But in the crypto world, it's not efficient. It's not efficient yet. Um, and so both of us have had times where we look at markets and we see over here, Bitcoin's at 48,000 and over here it's 43,000. And so can we buy here and sell here and make, make that small spread and not, not and like at almost no risk, right? These things exist. Um, and uh, we help people use, utilize these strategies and, and identify these strategies and see like, where can we make some profit in a low risk way? So do you guys feel like in a way, crypto reacts in the opposite direction of the dollar. I, I actually, I view crypto in a very similar way to gold. Gold reacts to distrust of a populace as opposed to dollar value, because dollar value goes up, GPD, uh, GDP goes up whenever people trust their government, and crypto seems to go up when people don't trust their government, or at least gold did, and crypto seems to behave in a very similar manner. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think you're starting to see a lot of those hedges, you know, what I call hedges, right? So when one moves up, the other one, you know, works in the reverse. And so, you know, I think people are starting to understand kind of like what Chris says, we're starting to have a money problem in the world. And we see governments printing, you know, just what well, almost infinite amount of money to, you know, get things done. And so what I think the logical response is, is like, this isn't sustainable. So where can I put assets? Like, so again, right, they're moving away from distrust. And, where, like, and what assets can hedge against this or what assets can I invest in or place dollars or currency in to protect myself? And I think cryptocurrency is becoming a bigger and more popular option for those solutions. Fantastic. And, and so I would say- I, Oh, go ahead, Chris, sorry about that. I, I was just gonna say, and I would say that you just watch the price of Bitcoin go up. More people are trusting an asset that will store the value of their wealth more than other assets, right? I mean, it's over a trillion dollar asset. That's sort of mind blowing that there's this digital currency that was created by uh, someone that nobody knows. And it's this open monetary policy and people have injected $1 trillion of value in, into that currency. I, people definitely are moving away from, if they're distrusting the government, they're, they're moving toward these kind of financial items. Vessels. Absolutely. So guys, um, because I live way out in the boonies and because we're actually experiencing a tropical storm right now, my internet is wavering back and forth a little bit. So it's causing a little bit of, um, a little bit of stuttering on your side. Uh, just wanted to let you be aware if I suddenly freeze, that's why. Um, so if there was one thing, only one thing that people took away from this interview, what should it be? Um, I'll start and then I'll let Mitch kind of close it. Um, I, what I'd like people to, to know is that um, one, like crypto and Bitcoin um, is a financial, is a new financial class, a new financial asset that I think is worth part of investing part of your net worth into part of your available dollars that you're looking to invest and grow. Um, number one. And number two, um, I would say I, I want people to realize like people that are trying to get into crypto, once they, once they, that, that, that switch flips in their brain that they want to be in crypto, they're like, they wanted to be there yesterday. And you have to be responsible when you get into crypto, um, 
don't try to do it too quickly. You, you need to cover your fundamentals. Um, probably have somebody to help you who has done it before. Um, this is the same, like people hire financial advisors um, to, to coach them um, who are much more versed in, in financial services and things like that. I think the same is true with crypto. The issue is that right now there are no sort of formalized um, financial advisors for crypto. So who do you go and ask? You could watch a YouTube video um, and honestly, everyone could learn what, what we have learned through watching YouTube videos, but it would take you a while. And, and, and if you tried to move too quickly, you might get hurt. And, and in the crypto space, financial losses oftentimes are not partial. You send money from a wallet and you didn't do it correctly, you lose everything. It's complete unrecoverable loss. And because those risks are so high, um, we recommend people, you know, be careful. And like I said, ask some people for help. And we are happy to be that help for people um, who are interested in getting into the crypto space and may have some hesitation or realize that they don't know what they don't know. Mitch. And Mitch? Yeah, I mean, he, he pretty much nailed it. Um, you know, not to be completely repetitive, but I would just say find a way to get into the space, you know, and everyone's going to have different risk tolerances. Not everyone buys the same amount of stocks or bonds as everyone else, but it's definitely a space you don't want to be um, not participating in. And like Chris said, like, you know, find a way to do that, you know, so whether you want, you know, like, a, you know, me and Chris to help, like we have that course that we really hope is, you know, helps, you know, people take that first step, or if they want to self-educate, you know, just make sure you take the right steps to, you know, protect yourself. And I would say the bigger problem with YouTube is you never know what their inherent intentions are. So, you know, some people maybe pitch things or say things, um, you know, to kind of take advantage of people that, that maybe don't know better. Um, so, me and Chris also say, you know, it's, it's tough in the crypto space because it's just as important what you don't know as what you do know. And so, you know, we really hope that there, you know, people take the right steps to protect themselves because what would be hard for me to see is someone that, you know, gets burned that one time, right? Like, you know, gets into crypto and, get, and gets a loss and never, never fully gets into the space and misses out on what, you know, potentially is the next, you know, big movement in financial policy or, you know, finance in general. Okay, excellent. And I do have one final question. I'd like you guys to address the difference between buying coins and investing in crypto. Could you, yeah, go, yeah, could you just go deeper <laughs> in that question? What's that? Could you just ask that question a different way? Um, I, 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 I think I've got a good answer to this question for you, Chris. So, the, so what, what attracts a lot of people to crypto so like a lot of us, a lot of people are like, there's a, there's a gambler inside of everybody. And um, I think one of the reasons crypto is getting so popular is that um, you have these meme coins like Dogecoin and they're appreciating at hundreds of percent a week, right? We're talking about like thousand X returns. I mean, this is stupid stuff. Um, the whole GameStop, like, you know, even to exit, the crypto world, GameStop, like all these kinds of things. It's this, like every, I think every human has a desire to get rich quick. Um, and, and this whole notion of buying coins and trying to, trying to buy the coin that's going to moon a thousand X in a week, like we all want to be on that rocket ship. But the reality is you're probably not going to be on that rocket ship 
you're probably you're going to you're going to time it wrong you're going to buy it at the top and it's going to crash um and so the idea of buying coins versus investing in crypto they're they're two different activities um when you invest in crypto you have a thesis you're not just buying the coin because you know elon musk is tweeting about it does it have any inherent value have you actually uh, at the base layer investigated the fundamental um like financial policy of that coin um have you read the white paper of you know have you do you know who works who who the developers are um all these sorts of things and and that's what Mitch and I spend a lot of our time doing is looking very deeply into different coins um that are projects that are trying to solve certain problems and trying to decide um do they have inherent value or are they just the next doge coin right i mean there's a shiba inu coin out there and all these things they're fun but they're not investments it's gambling and and you have to know when you're gambling and when you're investing and and there is a there is a big difference between those two okay guys well i think great interview where can they find your uh, your courses yeah so um we just launched our website it's called cryptodentist.net and we'll we'll give give you that information chris um so you can post it uh but yeah cryptodentist.net and we uh will have some courses very soon for people to sign up for like i said it's a two part course um and we're hoping that we get a number of dentists and and you know frankly other healthcare providers to to sign up um who are interested in in getting into crypto well chris mitch thank you so much for your time today and uh the benefit of your information and uh, folks, you have, you've just wasted another hour listening to the sound of our voices drowning on, uh, droning on rather. So uh, thank you so much for your time and your support of the Deer Dot podcast. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the Deer Doc podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Deer Doc podcast on all major platforms. Hey folks, before I let you go, I just wanted to make sure I thank United Medical Credit for sponsoring this podcast and also the business of dentistry. Go check out their website at www.unitedmedicalcredit.com forward slash TBOD to get a special deal. 